Hello and welcome to Malavision, the podcast that gives you the vision and the voice to be heard. Hello everybody, welcome to the podcast which gives you the voice and the vision to be heard and today I am joined by Ellie Ubank, a psychotherapist. So Ellie, could you please introduce yourself? Sure, um, so my name's Ellie, I am a CBT therapist and I work primarily with adolescents, um, I have private practice in Reading, um, yeah. Why did you decide to um, sort of set up your private practice and sort of go into therapy? Um, so it's been, um, psychology has been something that I've wanted to do for as long as I can remember, um, probably since I was early teenager. Um, and then I did my degree in psychology and then a my master's degree in CBT. And then since then, just sort of built up the kind of um, models that I use. And um, I've always loved working with young people. And it's just sort of evolved, really. Do you ever feel like um, that um, that the issue, obviously, that this is like obviously common sense, but do you ever, do you see a pattern in young people's issues and uh, you know, older people's issues. Is there a big difference? Are teenagers of today going through similar situations? I think I think teenagers at the moment have um, have it a lot harder <laughs> than, than say when I did at school, um, and I think there's a lot of pressure that um, they have, which is something maybe the older generations had in a different way. Uh, things like social media um, are things that maybe their parents or grandparents can't relate to in the same way. Um, and, yeah, I think things on social media can be really, really unhelpful. Um, and that's a sort of pressure there to use that. Um, and, you know, obviously a lot of um, sort of teenagers now, they've, they've had to deal with school through lockdown, which is something that, you know, no, no one else has ever had to do. So, um yeah, there are differences, I think. Um, very um, context-dependent, I think. Well, yeah, and you've just, uh, you know, briefly touched on, you know, that you know that there were issues that maybe you wouldn't have experienced. There's the massive thing at the moment is, you know, sort of gender identity. Ha- have you seen that a lot in younger people recently? I think there's... Um, there's more awareness around uh, sort of gender issues now. Um, and so what you might find is that younger people are more forthcoming with those issues around gender, whereas uh, older generations less so. Um, and I think, but I do think there is certainly a, a challenge there around feeling accepted and, um, you know, whether that's by parents or peers and sort of how, how able people feel to be themselves in different situations that's something that um yeah I've worked with quite a bit are there any um highlights in therapy for example maybe if you know you've you know if somebody comes to you at crisis point and then at the end of the course goes like completely different person does that 
do you ever feel quite rewarded when that happens? You know, I think that's that's why anyone goes into it. If you're not um, sort of intrinsically the per- the kind of person who wants to help people, then um, yeah, I, I think that's why a lot of people do what I do. Um, I certainly find I, I work a lot with um, people who might be considered high risk, so things like self harm um, and quite uh, severe depression. And there's certainly been uh, quite a few cases that I've seen, you know, complete 180. Um, over the over the time that we've been working together, and it, it's so wonderful to see them just thriving and living their lives after being and going through such a difficult time. Um, and I also love um, I love working with long term conditions. Um, I have a bit of a background working with neuro conditions, um, mainly acquired uh, brain injuries, and that was so rewarding as well. Seeing people take such big steps in terms of their acceptance and adjustment. Um, it, yeah, that's that's the kind of work I find really rewarding. So, um, you know, you've just mentioned about um the the brain, um, and um, I have a question: Is it a myth, or can psychotherapists or people who have trained in the field you have trained in detect body language? Um. Oh, that's a tricky one. I. I think it certainly factors in, um, you know, if there's, if you've got someone in front of you doing some work, you know, I think if they've got like closed body language, you might, you might think, okay, they're struggling with this or there's something going on here that I need to pick up on. It's sort of the nonverbal cues. Um, and I think that, that does factor in, um, whether or not we can read it. I think I, I would take that with a, a pinch of salt. I don't think it's very, probably that reliable um yeah so if you walked into a room of a group of people say into a group therapy setting I don't know if you've ever worked in group therapy but you wouldn't be able to pick up on sort of what the room is like obviously I know that you know as humans we Mm. can all do that but you don't think that that's you know especially heightened in your role I think we're very perceptive to um what people are going through um and we do pick up on things that maybe other people wouldn't but um i i don't know how reliable somebody's body language would be in terms of what's going on for them uh, there might be all kinds of reasons why they might be uh, behaving in a certain way so what sort of um behavioural things have you worked with in the past? Are there any sort of behavioural things that you've worked with that aren't that common or that are extremely common that may not have been common many years ago? Um, so I work a lot with, um, as I said earlier, sort of self-harm, things like that. Um, and I I work a lot with things like OCD, uh, anxiety, um, anxiety disorders, so that could be social anxiety, that could be health anxiety, or generalised anxiety, uh, panic, uh, phobias, uh, depression. Um, and I like doing work around adjustment um, to you know, long-term conditions or life changes or physical symptoms. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a whole, whole range of things, really. When you was thinking when you were a teenager, you know, oh, I'm going to go into this, did you ever have any 
turnarounds? Did you ever think, actually, I want to be sort of, say, what sort of every girl goes to a hairdresser or a fashion designer? <laughs> or, or did you always know this is what I want to go into? No, I think I just knew. it was There was never anything else, really. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm somebody who prefers more in-depth conversations to sort of the surface level ones. Um, so when I ask people how they are, I kind of, I'm actually asking how they are, not just... How are um, you type thing? Yeah. Um, and so for me, you know, it taps into one of my values, which is to help people and... Um, yeah, if you can combine that with a career, then that's great. <laughs> so, so was was the thought? Obviously, you might have ever, you know, you might have thought when you were younger, you know, oh, I want to be sort of going to therapy. But when did you ever feel like, even as you got old, that you'd have a private practice? Was that sort of in your goals? Did you just sort of think, oh, it's going to be an online thing? Was that? Yeah, um, I I don't think I I always prefer working in well, no, that's not the right way to say it. I I find working in private practice gives me the flexibility that I want uh, to treat people how how I I give them the, the therapy that I think they need, uh, which might be a combination approach of various therapies rather than just straightforward CBT, which doesn't always um, Meet, meet the needs of people who might be more complex or have multiple things going on um, so it it gives me the freedom to do that which I prefer um, and it also allows me to you know uh, choose my own hours and um, that that's quite important to me. How different um, is you know the um NHS approach to private therapy mm. approach obviously understand that with private therapy you know like you said you have flexibility and you sort of don't have to um account to anybody but do, is there any big differences yeah so the NHS uses something called um IAPT which is um improving access to psychological therapy and they will allocate a certain number of sessions of um, a type of therapy um, to somebody who needs it. And it will be generally a set care approach. So they'll start with something like group therapy or self-help. And then if you still need support after that, then you'll be stepped up to something called Step 3, which is CBT. And that's where you would get your, I don't know, 8 to 12 sessions of, of CBT. Um yeah, it, it's very uh, protocol driven and it's very, um, it can sometimes feel not personal enough for some people and sometimes adding in different approaches like uh, DBT skills um, or a bit of acceptance and commitment therapy can be quite helpful if somebody is struggling with something that's not as straightforward as just say one diagnostic label. Have you have you ever worked um, in you know as you were getting your practice? Did you ever work in um, NHS practices? Yeah, yeah, I did. So um, I worked doing NHS work for I think two, two, three years, um, and I just found it it wasn't wasn't for me. Um, yeah. 
So, um, so um, I've seen um, some people say that uh, NHS um, patients, if waiting lists are too long and if their case is quite severe, uh, they will signpost you to private therapy. Yeah. Um, yeah, so you do, unfortunately, um, the wait lists are getting longer because it's a, there's a lot of demand for a service that is already so stretched. Um, so, yeah, we do see quite a lot of people who um, have either chosen to self-fund uh, because wait lists have been too long or they've had private medical insurance that they've been fortunate enough to use, um, which have meant that they've not needed to wait for uh, referral to CAMS or um, another mental health service. I mm. sometimes think that when you, you know, end up, you know, you know, waiting so long... I know I felt when I've waited so long on NHS waiting lists that actually when I get support, I'm so far gone that, you know, six, seven months ago, yeah, maybe it would have been easy. But then I feel like I've sort of taken about 50 steps back by eight months and then it's, you know, I'm almost too far gone. Mm. A lot lot of people do find that, but you know they are they're reaching out for help because that's that's hard enough to do as it as it is right that, that's that's the hardest thing to do is ask for help and then you know to then be told that it will be months and months until you're actually able to receive that help and it's that sort of um that time delay that people don't have the coping strategies necessarily or the professional support that they need but they're feeling at absolute rock bottom which is why they've asked for help and that's sort of the, the hardest bit really do you ever feel like sometimes maybe people prefer private has anybody ever sort of come to you and gone I've tried NHS I've also now tried you as private and I actually I find that the private approach is much better um it I have had people say that um Sometimes it feels a bit more person, what we call person-centred rather than protocol-driven. Uh, but I think that would be a, kind of quite a sweeping statement about sort of to say that about all therapists. There are some who who prefer to follow uh, the protocols to the letter, and that's okay. Um, and there are some in the NHS that um, have the have the scope, and you know they're structure allows them to be more flexible and that's that's great too um but yeah some people prefer one or the other if you know sort of you had to decide what do you think has helped you more uh you know uh have you tried nhs and private therapy if so sort of what therapy did you prefer sure so um i have tried both (laughs) um i think it's um I think it's important to see it from the other side um, and it's something that I found very helpful. Um, and unfortunately for me, the, the waiting list was very long um, and so we're fortunate enough that my partner has private health insurance so I've, um, I've seen a private therapist and she's fantastic. And do you think that everybody should have therapy even if they're not struggling to get them emotionally intelligent? Um, 
I think everyone can benefit from it. Um, sometimes it's just um, a different perspective or recognizing your own un- unhelpful thinking patterns or the sort of cycles that we end up in. It can be very helpful just from a psychoeducation point of view. Um, in terms of uh, emotional intelligence, I'm not entirely sure how what the link is there and sort of from a um, research point of view, but I imagine it can be helpful just to be more aware of our own patterns and behaviours. What's the sort of um, pattern, you know, you sort of look for um, when diagnosing a mental health disorder? Sure. So I'm not able to give a formal diagnosis. Uh, that falls under psychiatry, uh, which is the medical doctors who prescribe medication. Um, so they're the only ones that can really formally diagnose or a specialist psychologist. Um, what I'm looking for when I assess somebody is um, whether they meet certain criteria uh, for various um, mental health conditions and depending on which one they fall more into will guide the treatment that I I give them um, and the approach that I go for. So, for example, you know, with depression, you might be looking for are they struggling with feelings of enjoyment? Is there um, lack of engagement with um, friends and family? Is there thoughts of you know hopelessness? And you know, sort of like a tick box exercise of you know this is probably what we're working with here, and therefore we're going to treat accordingly. Do you ever feel like um, that some people? sort of over-exaggerate their emotions I don't I I don't know if that's worded very well but I hopefully you understand what I mean yeah I understand what you mean um I'm wondering I don't think there would be that in therapy um and if there was I would be asking myself well why um why are they doing that yeah exactly Um, and sort of working with the function of it rather than what they're what they're saying. Um, I, don't, I don't know. That's, a, that's an interesting one. <laughs> do you do you ever? Are there any mental health conditions that might make somebody ever exaggerate their mental health condition? Um, so I wouldn't say they exaggerate their mental health condition, but we know that um, you know, as a personality disorder, emotionally unstable personality disorder, borderline personality. Um, and they, a lot of people believe that they exaggerate their emotions, but what we actually know is they experience um, much more intense emotions than you or I might. And um, as a result of that, they can be perceived to be um, quite dramatic or quite uh, explosive in their responses, but actually they are experiencing more intense emotions than, than anyone else might. What do you think is the most common um, disorder that you sort of see uh, in therapy? That's an interesting one. Uh, I've had a lot of OCD recently. Um, It comes and goes in waves. Um, So a few months ago, it was a lot of generalised anxiety. Um, And I think fair to say there will always be quite a bit of depression on my caseload. Um, That's sort of uh, regular, yeah. So 
how how many people um do you sort of see every year how many people do you have on your case at the moment so i work part-time uh so i will see up to five people a day three days a week and then uh the other two days i do admin and reports and things like that so i have a small smallish caseload of uh, about 15 people at the moment do you ever think people speak about, you know, how expensive private mental health care is, you know, because I was, you know, sort of, you know, having a look at sort of, you know, prices of, you know, you offer. Um, and in some respects, some of your, you know, pricing is reasonably um you know, cheap, you know, sort of, um, you know, like a hundred, you know, sort of pounds. But then, you know, it ca- it does go up to sort of 207. So what? why do you, do you ever sort of think, oh, blimey, you know, because I'm sure before you went into the field, you probably thought, blimey, mental health care privately is so expensive. Mm. But do you ever think now, oh, blimey, I feel really awful charging this much? Yeah, I mean, it's a tricky one because I, you know, you're not, you, you don't go into psychology for the money. Um, and I think it's shocking to me that that is the going rate um, because, you know, my fees are in keeping with, you know, other other local uh, services that are really similar. Yeah. And it, it, does sho- it does shock me that that is what, what the field charges i mean you you think about what psychiatry might charge for 15 minutes is you know hundreds and hundreds and um if you're self-funding it's very hard to do it is do you do you ever find people mostly go through medical insurance yeah yeah that that's generally how people manage it yeah and do with you know medical insurance so do you you know, how much are we, you know, do people pay insurance companies for them to then get this insurance to pay for things? Yeah, so a lot of people um, have, when, when when they take on a job, they might get um, sort of family cover as part of the package um, of, like, benefits of working for that company. And that's generally um, what I find with a lot of the young people I work with is it might be mum or dad who's um, got a healthcare policy through work. Um, yeah, that that tends to be quite a lot of them actually. Have you ever looked at you know sort of other uh, therapy platforms you know that are more flexible like BetterHelp or things? You know, I know that you know that's quite big at the moment. Yeah, I I used to. I used to work on something a bit like that. Um, I do remote sessions for my clients. Um, at, at the moment, I do a combination of face-to-face and remote. Um, and yeah, I'm not. I'm not really too keen on working for a big corporate company. It doesn't no. fit with my values. Yeah. Do you find it harder um, to, you know, help people with their emotions when you are remote? Because if somebody's absolutely bawling their eyes out, obviously, um, uh, you know, I understand that, you know, it's not, um, you know, it's probably not professional, but you can't offer that, you know, sort of, you know, if somebody said, oh, can I have a hug? 
you know, obviously, you know, um, I don't know if, you know, you, you know, do that. And, um, you know, I know it's sort of probably down to the therapist preference. But mm. do you find that hard that you can't even show any support over the phone? You know, you can't just go, you know, come on, let's, you know, I'll get you a glass of water or... Yeah, it, it, it's tricky and different people prefer different things, which is why I offer both. Um, you know, I think it is easier to offer that reassurance and support people face to face. But, you know, online about as close as we're going to get. So for some people, the practicalities outweigh, um, outweigh it and they would rather be seen online. So, yeah. And I guess online gives you, you know, quite a lot of flexibility. Have you ever worked for anybody, you know, abroad? Um, no. Uh, oh, wait. Yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> oh, really? So, so how, how was that? Because obviously, if somebody's abroad, obviously, their, you know, sort of services, you know, that they can access, you know, like, say, Samaritans yeah. in the UK... Did you then sort of have to do a lot more research sort of, oh, what lines can I give them if they need it for crisis? Yes, exactly. And sort of um, safety plans and things. So um, working out where their local A&E is and things like that. It gets very tricky. Um, Was it it interesting, though, to sort of see the different services you might have in the UK, but actually different services you might see abroad, you know, when you are researching for that client? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as much as the NHS is struggling at the moment and it is stretched, it, it is certainly um, providing a lot more services than other other uh, European countries at the moment. Another topic I really wanted to cover is, um, you know, um, uh, mental health institutions. What, what do you think um, of the... Um, Different site wards obviously have different rules and some of them obviously, you know, aren't that, you know, do treat, you know, sort of young people. Do you see or do you hear of many young people that are being detained unfairly? I think that's a big thing that I see on TikTok a lot at the moment. Um, I I I know young people who have have been detained I um I wouldn't I wouldn't know whether they believe it's unfairly or not um I think I think they serve a purpose which is keeping somebody safe but what what can be unhelpful is um the longer term effects of that on, on a young person and you know on the one hand they might uh, struggle with how they're treated while, whilst being detained uh they might struggle with being detained itself um, or they might actually struggle with then uh, life outside of hospital and you end up with somebody who only knows the inside of hospitals and it then becomes different, difficult to live outside. So um, I think they do they do help to keep people safe. Uh, for the most part, it's just um, it, it can be done as an outpatient. That's obviously, obviously preferable. Well, well, I guess what I was just thinking is it must be quite hard if, you know, somebody's, you know, got the treatment they need and, you know, they've been detained for a while, you know, like, you know, sort of a year or so. 
I guess it must be so hard when they come out because they've been detained between these four walls under strict rules, you know, sort of, you know, you know, you can't go out without guidance or what or somebody watching you. And then they're going out into this big wide world. I bet they're like, I've got nobody to sort of, you know, if, you know, I'm about to get into danger, I've got nobody Mm -hmm. to go no that's a silly idea you know you you know you don't mean that you don't want to do it i was just going to say it's um it's quite similar to if people go into uh, residential facilities to overcome a drug addiction or alcohol addiction yeah you know they're coming out and essentially faced with exactly the same triggers in terms of their environment as as they were surrounded with that was triggering the, the um substance use so it's very similar uh, in that, in a sense. Do you think mental health conditions are brought on by substance use nowadays? Um, I think it's the other way around. Uh, so the research suggests that um, substance use um, is almost like a, a symptom, if you like, of yeah. underlying health conditions, um, mental health conditions. So often there's undiagnosed trauma, there's uh, secondary depression, all kinds of things. And it's when they then withdraw from the substance and um, are you know clean for however however long, be it alcohol, drugs, whatever it might be, um, that you then have all of this work to do, which is ultimately why why the behaviour was there in the first place. If we sort of go back to you know sort of young people's mental health, if you could tell your twelve year old self anything, what would you tell them? Oh, that's a really tricky one. Um, it's really tricky. Um, I think it would be something about other people's opinions. It doesn't matter. Mm. It's your opinion that matters the most. Because I think in secondary... Yeah, because I was going to say, I, I think yeah. in secondary school, you know, there are so many, you know, sort of... Um, oh, what's the word? Um, expectations. Um, mm. And I think, you know, you sort of... You know, there's so much expectations, you know, or, you know, you need to dress a certain way, you know. Um, you know, why why dress in long dresses or long skirts, you know, roll them up a bit. Do you know what I mean? It's, yeah, yeah. I think, I think there's a massive stigma um, around, you know, you know, dressing, I guess, modestly um, yeah. when you're a teenager. Um, yeah. You know, and you know, oh, you've got to wear heaps of makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, you know, as it's coming to the end, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. No problem at all. It's been lovely to have a chat. <laughs> um, and what you know, if you want to, you know, if anybody wanted, you know, to think actually, you know, after you know, sort of hearing, you know, sort of Ellie's, you know, sort of things she does, sort of ways of treatment, private therapy, pricing. How do people go about finding you? Um, so my website is just my name, which is very helpful. So it's uk. Amazing. And thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Um, and yeah, thank you so much. No problem at all. It's been lovely to speak to you. Lovely to speak to you too.